Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. Hi everyone, welcome to this session of STEP 2023. We've got Andrew Gesdeki with us, who is the founder and CEO of Acquire.com, not micro-acquired anymore. Uh, it's a marketplace that uh, connects people wanting to sell startups with uh, companies or individuals wanting to buy them. So it's basically a startup M&A marketplace. Thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time uh, to do this. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you doing? Yeah, Zubair, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, I mean, people know you because of uh, Acquire.com, uh, formerly MicroAcquire. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to uh, this point? And, you know, uh, what have been some of the biggest milestones of your career? Yeah, that's uh, a super broad question, but I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the two-minute sort of version so I can give a 30 or 60-minute version. But kind of been an entrepreneur my whole life uh you know i was that typical kid selling stuff on ebay when i was 13 or selling baseball cards um when people were collecting them uh my first real venture that i built was a SaaS business called business apps i started that in college um bootstrapped that to about a little over 10 million in annual recurring revenue and it was acquired um, when I was 29, which is pretty cool. And then I built a crypto protocol company after that. I don't know why. I should have taken a break. Um, but that company was acquired by uh, a firm called Bank to the Future. Um, and then now uh, I help other startups um, find uh, exits and acquisitions. Right. Uh, so why did you decide to do Acquire.com? I mean, uh, what were some of the problems you saw in the market? Because, I mean, you were somebody who had sold, you know, their own business. So you must have encountered some problems while doing that. And I'm assuming, you know, that that's what led to uh, then the, the starting of uh, Acquire.com. Yeah, good question. Um, it was a few things. The first kind of light bulb moment was when business apps was acquired. and. It's spelled incorrectly. It's spelled B-I-Z-N-E-S-S apps. It's still alive if anyone right. wants it. It's like a drag and drop mobile app builder. But anyways, when that company was acquired, I had more people than I could count reach out to me and ask me simple questions such as, how'd you find the buyer? What are the legal steps? What was the value? Like due diligence, all of these parts of an acquisition that uh, to me, I kind of understood. Uh, but it really kind of opened my eyes that, you know, as entrepreneurs, you know, there's books on marketing, there's books on sales, there's books on product development, fundraising, literally everything but, you know, the exit. And so I just thought there's a huge void in the market in terms of, you know, there needs to be an easier way to facilitate these acquisitions because it's arguably the most important part of the founder's journey is, you know, getting acquired. Um, so that was the first part. Um, the second part was, you know, it's a really fragmented market in terms of who are the buyers? Um, what do you need to do to prepare your startup to get acquired? 
Um, and so just kind of bringing all that together in one place just made a lot of sense to me. So uh, in another sense, what I'm trying to say is I, I just felt the startup ecosystem needed something like acquire.com to exist. So I, I, I built it. Right, right. Um, now, uh, marketplaces that uh, enable the sale of uh, internet businesses have existed for a long time. Uh, when you started MicroAcquire, uh, you started with a different model, you know, where you don't charge uh, the seller anything at all. The buyer pays a subscription fee. Uh, what was the main reason for doing that and uh, how that model has, you know, uh, contributed to the success of uh, what your business has become today? Yeah, good question. So I, when I looked in the market, I, I tried to do everything completely opposite of other options to sell your business. And one of the key kind of values that we have at um, Acquire.com is, you know, we want to put the founder first. So we want to put the founder in the best position, um, be the most attractive option for them to sell their business. And having no commissions made a lot of sense. It just, you, know, you can list your business, we charge the buyers, and then instead of paying, you know, business broker 10 to 15%, you can save that and we'll just charge the buyer for access to contact you and learn about um, your business and start negotiations. But I will note that we will be implementing commissions um, uh, pretty soon here. So, uh, that is part of the plan, but initially launching a business like a marketplace, you want to get as many people in as quickly as possible. You know, it's kind of like you're throwing a big event. And so having a value prop like that and helping startups get acquired without any sort of commission um, has been a big part of our, our growth strategy. Um, but when we do implement commissions, we're going to do it in a way where we add value to the acquisition. And so there's always going to be a free tier of micro acquire.com. I got to, we got to get used to saying the, the new company name, but um, you know, we want to make sure that when we do capture commissions, we're earning them and we're not just saying, Hey, you, you listed on our marketplace, please give us commission or something like that. You know, we want to say, hey, we were able to increase, you know, the sale of your business by X, Y, Z percent um, to justify, you know, that commission. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you've touched upon it that, you know, uh, this this part, having no commissions in the beginning uh, contributed to the early success of uh, the business. But usually marketplaces uh, always struggle with the chicken and egg problem. So how did you get, you know, those first users? How did you convince people to list their online businesses or whatever type of businesses they wanted to sell on uh, acquire.com in the early days? How did you get, you know, those first 10, 15 users? What was your pitch? Yeah, good question. Uh, it was kind of a little bit of everything. So I have a, a pretty decent sales and, and marketing background. So uh ran like a big cold outbound email campaign, uh, both to buyers and startups just asking, um, you know, if they wanted to buy or sell a startup. Uh, got on the phone a lot, talked to a lot of different buyers. I think that was probably the most critical part was actually scheduling calls with startups 
Because when you first start any sort of business, um, there's something that you need to, you know, um, close, which they call the credibility gap. No one trusts you. No one knows your brand. Um, so why are they going to list a startup on your marketplace? There's there's no trust built there yet. You haven't proven yourself. Um, so building those early relationships one to one, I think, is really crucial. So I focused a lot on. I probably did like 200 calls, like a lot um, right. because i i you know they were fun calls because they were with startups i love startups um meeting just the different types of buyers was very interesting and that really helped inform you know product decisions and marketing strategies and stuff like that so um short answer just you know kind of just talk to a lot of different customers Right. And how long did it take to actually make the first exit happen on MicroAcquire? I mean, when it was MicroAcquire. And uh, do you remember, uh, you know, the, the company that got acquired? That, that was the first company that got acquired on uh, on, the, on the website. I, I do. Yeah, it's hard to forget your first customer, your first, you know, in this case, acquisition, if you will. And it, I can't say the name of the company because all sure. everything on MicroAcquire.com, excuse me, is private. Um, but yeah, I remember it was, I think, probably about a month after launch, because there's a wow. period where, you know, buyers have to discover the startup, go through due diligence, closing, and then it's acquired. Um, but it happened quickly, and it was kind of to my surprise. And when it happened, you know, we weren't charging buyers, we didn't have any revenue model. It was really just me running the whole thing. I was right. doing all customer support all product management, all marketing, um, betting the listings, uh, speaking with sellers, uh, marketing the startups that were listed on the marketplace. So it was all, it was just kind of like a, almost like a side project at that point. Right. And then it just quickly kind of took off from there at a pace that um, I had not expected. Right. And for how long it was only you? I mean, when did you hire your first employee? <sighs> Good question. Uh, for the first year, I'd say it was me, just me. Um, and, it, you know, I don't recommend that. You know, I, I recommend get a co-founder, find someone to complement your skill sets. Uh, but for this business, it was just so much fun to run. It was really easy to get up in the morning and kind of put in, you know, some pretty long days if needed. Because, you know, when you when you have to kind of do all support plus marketing, plus product development, plus, um, you know, just general admin, stuff like that, uh, it, it's it's a lot of time. So the first my first hire was um, just someone to help with customer support. Um, and then also uh, when startups come into Acquire.com, we vet and review every listing. So we'll improve the profile. We'll we'll verify certain pieces of information for security, like their identity. Um, and so, yeah, about a year. <laughs> I wish I did it sooner. I'll, I'll I'll say that. Right. Okay. So that's you know one of the mistakes you made early on. You know, in spite in spite of being a second time founder. But what are some of the other mistakes, big mistakes you made early on? Uh, in case of MicroAcquire, uh, you had done a business before and you'd sold it. I mean, so one would assume that you would not make as many mistakes as first-time first founders, but I mean, you would still have made some. So what were some of the classic ones? Yeah, good question. I wouldn't say hiring a person 
a year into the business was a mistake. I think it was kind of a, you know, a, a blessing in disguise, if you will. Right. I just, okay. I just, I just enjoyed the business so much. And the longer I was in those roles, the more right. I could understand them and optimize them and then build the processes. Um, so it's also important not to hire too early. Cause then, sure. you know, you might not have the best <clears throat> grasp on who's ideal for this role that you're hiring for. Um, but if I look at mistakes I've made with acquire so far, um, nothing really too, too glaring. If I'm being honest, I would say, um, you know, I, I think I'll say the mistakes I made in my first startup. And these are the ones that kind of, you know, I have a little bit of scar tissue, if you will. And so that's just the ones you so I, I told myself with this new business as, as my third startup, I wasn't going to make these mistakes. And the biggest mistakes I've made um, building businesses, um, the first one is um, not hiring people smarter than me, um, you know, when they're needed in the business. And so at business apps, for example, I manage marketing and product um, for way too long. I should have hired, you know, people smarter than me, experienced, more experienced than me. I was very young. I was 22, 23, no previous experience. Um, so with MicroQuire, um, once we started to hire, I built out, um, you know, I guess you could call like a founding team pretty early. So I brought on, you know, VP of product, VP of engineering, um, COO, um, and a few other different key roles that I knew were just, maybe not necessary at that time, but to really grow the business and accelerate the growth of the business, um, they would be required. And then number two would be um, marketing attribution. Um, at my other startups, uh, there had been some moments where just not tracking the ROI on certain marketing campaigns, um, that was a big mistake I'd made in the past. Um those are those are the, the top two that that come to mind, and then also um, not having a, a a big focus on um, uh, building the product correctly in terms of infrastructure um, from the start. And I and I say that because at my first startup we had to do a full rewrite because we just kind of had spaghetti code and there's bugs right. everywhere. Right. You know, we were we weren't thinking about, you know, scale. And so, um, for this one, and I, I don't recommend this all the time because sometimes it's not necessary, but, um, I made sure to use, um, uh, you know, certain coding languages that I think would scale over time. Right. 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 Yeah. One of the arguments that, you know, I see people making up a lot of the times is that, you know, you should not worry too much about your code in the beginning. I mean, just, you know, go for whatever, you know, gets you to the product and you can deal with all these uh, things later. And, you know, on the other side of, of, of the argument, there are people who say that, you know, you should build for scale, you know, from maybe day one, if you're thinking big. So uh, there are obviously, you know, both uh, two sides, uh, I mean, for and against this argument. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, I would say 90% of the time, don't even worry about, you know, use no code, use anything to just get the product in the hands of the customer as soon as possible. Um, but for for this startup, 
Um, I, I think maybe this could be considered like a mistake or a correct decision, but at, at business apps, we literally had to do a full rewrite of the whole platform and it took a year, it took a year. And so I said, you know, maybe we're spending a little bit too much time on the architecture, but I also don't want to be in a position where I have to do a full rewrite, which allows your competitors to catch up for a year. Um, so that was a really painful year when we had to essentially rewrite the entire platform that we had built. Um, so, uh, yeah, not doing that this time with um, Acquire.com. Right. right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what Acquire.com looks like today. First of all, you know, maybe um, let's start, you know, quickly with the rebrand. Why did you decide to do that? And uh, are you getting the handle on Twitter or not? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so I'll start with the rebrand. So I'd, I'd actually always wanted to be the, the company name to be acquired.com because right. I've always felt, you know, the best brands in markets win, especially when R&D isn't really necessarily a competitive advantage. And in marketplaces, most of the time it's not. It's really the network effects. Those network effects were created by, you know, usually marketing Obviously, the product needs to be exceptional, but getting to product parity with marketplaces is is pretty easy. Um, so I knew we needed, you know, really strong brand. So I had been in communication with the owner of the domain for maybe two plus years, and wow. two years prior, um, they were asking for the the asking price. Of the domain was um, uh, six seven hundred thousand dollars, and we paid two hundred thousand. Um, in october um so everything's kind of on sale right now which is uh nice but the reason for it was um you know when you start a business i'm a big believer you want to go ex- the, the more specific as possible right and micro really helped us kind of say hey this is for small startups to begin with right um, you know maybe sub we started with sub five hundred thousand revenue and we've expanded to 5 million and then now it's 50 million. And so we've kind of outgrown micro, if you will. And just through a lot of conversations with different sellers, um, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, no one, we don't want to facilitate micro acquisitions. We want to help maximize acquisitions for founders, whether that's for $10,000 as like a, a small side project or, you know, a, 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 SaaS business at scale for you know a hundred million dollars. So um, dropping the micro has really allowed us to you know really show kind of what we're trying to build, which is a marketplace for any size startup to to be sold. And then in terms of the, the Twitter handle, uh, we'll have to see. Twitter is making a, a handles marketplace where you can uh, bid on the handles, oh, and it's wow, going to be on that market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see when that gets released. Uh, we might not even buy it. Uh, it was just part of that secretly was um, just there was so much brand affinity with MicroQuire. You know, we needed to create new ways for people to root for our, our new brand because I'm a big believer. You always want to position your company as 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 David in your market. No one roots for Goliath. And so just kind of complete as the rebrand was happening we kind of did this rebrand in public if you will brought our customers along for the journey did some funny things and i saw the acquire handle was 
suspended on Twitter. And so we did a lot of things so like, can we get it? And some of them were funny, some of them were humorous. Um, but it was all, you know, good marketing towards uh, the rebrand that went live, um, uh, you know, just this year. Right, right, right. Um, you just mentioned that, you know, you are expanding uh, the the customer base. I mean, um, if I may call it the product base to include uh, startups that may even have, you know, uh, $50 million in uh, annual recurring revenue. Now, when you think of companies like these that, that have this kind of scale, you normally think that they would involve investment bankers and a lot of people in uh, any type of M&A activity. So how do you see, you know, your role uh, in, in all of that? And do you think you would replace those kind of institutions at some point? Or do you think you would... Uh, be providing complementary services to what exists today in the market for uh, the exits at this scale? Yeah, great question. So we actually work with a number of um, investment banks, business brokers, M&A advisors. So if your startup is of a certain size, we'll actually recommend that we connect you with a M&A advisor within our network. And then on top of that, we have our own uh, we call it our off-market brokerage service. So we'll actually, uh, you know, run a strategic targeted sale process. If that's if your startup is of a certain size and you're looking for a strategic buyer that's very specific. Um, so we have a, a number of different options. So uh, another way of what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, we understand that, you know, investment banks and, M&A advisors and business brokers have a key role in the marketplace. And rather than trying to replace them or build something better than them, we want to work with them um, and really kind of create kind of like, uh, you know, the Zillow of M&A where, you know, regard whatever your startup is, a SaaS, e-commerce, crypto startup, we can facilitate a, a connection for the best, you know, bank or M&A advisor um, based off the needs of your business. Right, right. I'd, I'd love to discuss uh, and touch upon, you know, uh, the, the future roadmap for, for Acquire.com. But um, I mean, um, uh, for now, I'd like to understand how the market has changed in terms of, you know, um, exit multiples that you're seeing in different domains. Uh, because, you know, you're somebody who has uh, uh, access to a lot of data. Uh, you're obviously, you know, facilitating uh, a lot of uh, sales uh, in terms of exits. Uh, on perhaps a daily basis. So how have the multiples changed uh, at, at different levels across different verticals over the last 12 to 18 months? Yeah, great question. So typically we'll see SaaS businesses sell for uh, two to five times revenue or between uh, five and seven times um, TTM profit. TTM stands for uh, trailing 12 months revenue. So uh, we really haven't seen like a dramatic decline in, in multiples, if you will. And I think what's actually happened is, you know, 2021, we saw just explosion of multiples, like where, you know, take your revenue times by a hundred and that's what you were worth. And I wish, I wish that was true, but it, you know, we've kind of gone back to reality and so we've actually started to see deals um, accelerate because 
seller expectations and buyer expectations are more in line and we're not seeing these crazy valuations where it's really hard to price certain assets. We're kind of getting to like sellers or founders realize, you know, your business, unfortunately, I'm sorry, it's not worth a hundred times your revenue. You know, it's more in line of like two to five to six. There's so many factors. Are you growing? Um, is your churn net negative? Um, you know, uh, but again, like um, founders are realizing, you know, this is the true value of my business in the last two years have kind of been a little bubbly. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're seeing in the market. And then every six months we publish um, a multiples report. The last one we published was in August. So we'll be having another one out um, pretty soon. But not much has really changed from my vantage point. Right. And have you seen any specific vertical uh, grow more in, in the last uh, few months in terms of, you know, exit the, the activity you're seeing, the many activity you're seeing in that? I would say SaaS, definitely SaaS is kind of our core focus as a business. Um, but we also serve markets like direct-to-consumer, mobile apps, um, crypto, even some interesting markets like newsletters or communities. Right. Those are always interesting. Um, but definitely SaaS is probably about 70% of um, the acquisitions we see on Acquire.com. Right. So, I mean, as you know, uh, we're speaking to an audience in Dubai, uh, which is in, in, in the Middle East. Uh, what have you seen from this part of the world in terms of, you know, people are showing interest in buying businesses or selling businesses from uh, the Middle East and North Africa? Yeah, great, great question. So we facilitated acquisitions on every continent except for Antarctica. Right. I was okay. I always joke That's about amazing. that. We're we're trying really hard for Antarctica, but um <laughs> we do see activity in, you know, all regions of, of the world. I don't have the stats in front of right. me, but um we are active in Europe, we are active in, you know, Southeast Southeast Asia, we are active in um, you know, South America, we are active in um again, every region of the world. Right. Uh, I remember, you know, a few days ago, somebody reached out to me on Twitter. I think uh, uh, they they tweeted something and, you know, they tagged me in it uh, and they were basically asking a question. What's the uh, equivalent of uh, micro-acquire in the Middle East and North Africa? Do we have something like that? And I said, I mean, micro-acquire is the micro-acquire for Middle East now, uh, for Middle East and North Africa. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. what you keep saying that, you know, you serve different verticals and you serve different uh markets you are not just focused on the us as a market or SaaS as a vertical I've, I've seen you say that a lot of times on twitter yeah i i said that the other day um someone was saying we need a latin america micro choir and then i just remind them you know the micro choir for latin america is micro choir or now acquire.com but uh yeah we are we are truly a global startup acquisition marketplace Right, right. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what the future holds for Acquire.com. Um, you have, you know, built up your name for being the place for, you know, selling internet businesses. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it's Acquire.com is now known for it. Uh, Microacquire is the name, you know, that, 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 that comes to mind. Uh, it, it would take some time before, you know, people get used to Acquire.com. But uh, what's next? I mean, do you plan to 
expand into uh, more offerings, for example, financing or, or, or facilitating financing or anything similar? Or uh, what do you plan to do over the next two to three years? Yeah, good question. I would say, you know, I think Acquire.com has the opportunity to potentially help facilitate acquisitions and sales of all types of businesses, not just software companies. So potentially Main Street businesses. And that's kind of where I'd love to see Acquire.com go is, again, kind of reminiscent of, you know, Realtor.com or Zillow, where we're you know the the zillow of MA, so any type of business whether it's software or um you know a local small business i think we can build tools um and a buyer network that can help facilitate those types of sales so um that's kind of like our, our long-term vision is being just the marketplace where all businesses are sold and then the second part i would add to that is um you know pushing up the deal sizes so in, improving the tools that we have. Um, we have tools that help create acquisition legal documents or a simple P&L for uh, software companies. Um, the more that we work on those tools, um, the more the larger acquisitions we can facilitate. So I would say just natural expansion into different verticals makes a lot of sense. And then also uh, focusing on increasing the deal sizes so we can facilitate larger acquisitions on Acquire.com. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, there are two mindsets, you know, one that you build generation, generational companies, you spend a lot of time, you know, on uh, finding the right uh, uh, idea to build. And then, you know, you uh, spend your life, maybe your entire life on building that thing. And then the other mindset is that, you know, you build something, you know, you spend some time on it, and you get a quick win out of it, maybe sell it in 12 to 18 months or 24 months. And, you know, if if you're lucky, you know, earn a few million dollars. I mean, uh, if if you're able to build something substantial, uh, how do you, you know, what are your thoughts uh, on this? You know, if if you were to advise somebody to to go and build an internet business, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think it depends on your personal goals, and I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of founders make is they don't really think about what they really want out of a startup if it's a couple million bucks like just bootstrap the thing and sell it in a couple years if obviously there's a lot more to that and it's not as easy as just yeah just bootstrap it but if you raise venture capital you go on a completely different path so i i always try to you know simplify it and you know bootstrap if you want to create wealth and then raise venture capital if you want to disrupt the market and I think another another point to make is, you know, we live in, you know, a time when all you read about is billion dollar exits or these humongous raises. Um, but the reality of entrepreneurship is, you know, that's that's just the one point one percent that we hear about. And the other ninety nine percent are just, you know, one, two, three, four, five million dollar startups or software companies. So I say, you know, bootstrap if you want to create wealth. And then, you know, if that works out, then raise venture capital, swing for the fences or go lay on a beach. Um, but be very um, thoughtful about what you want out of your startup. If if it's just a couple million dollars, it's much more practical and realistic to avoid raising, you know, venture capital. Just build a, 
a profitable software company and then sell it. But if you have larger ambitions and, you know, financials really aren't, you know, your main sort of uh, motivator, uh, then venture capital is the route. But having that kind of discussion with yourself, I think is, is critical. And a lot of entrepreneurs just feel that the way you build a startup is you raise money and then you build, find product market fit and then you raise more money. And and that's just not true. Um, so I, I'd say just be very intentional about, um, how you finance your company because that drastically, um, changes the outcome. Uh, I think the last two, two, three years have been more about, you know, you raise money on deck and then raise money on, raise more money on another deck. And, you know, before even you get to product market fit, you have probably three or four rounds already done. So, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of that, but, uh, uh, perhaps not anymore. Yeah. I mean, the last two years I would say were kind of like a, a big party, you know, amongst tech. And now we're seeing kind of the, the, the hangover of that. Right. Right. But it's good because I think it's bringing people back to reality in terms of, you know, what these software companies are are trading for. And then more importantly, you know, bringing back sort of the rigor of, you know, it doesn't make sense to spend two dollars to make one dollar. I don't Absolutely. think it ever did. Um, but, you know, building, you know, real value, um, I think is, you know, kind of a big shift that I'm excited about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think it has taken us uh, a lot of time to uh, finally realize that. And I hope, you know, the realization stays with us for, for a long time now. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew. Before we leave, you know, one last question. What's the largest uh, sale that uh, Acquire.com has facilitated to date? I mean, um, I'm, I'm assuming you cannot name names, but I mean, if you can share some details. Yeah, we've seen uh, several in the the low eight figures. I think the largest specifically was um, a little over eighteen million. Um, right, amazing. But we've been we have a few in the pipeline that look like they're going to be closing uh, that are substantially larger than that. So, wow, um, good good, good luck future. with that. Thanks. Thank you, thank you so much, Andrew. It was a pleasure having you, and I really enjoyed the chat. And uh, look forward to seeing more from Acquire.com. And I hope you get that handle. Thanks. I appreciate it. Great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.